welcome. It's good to have you here in this room this morning. I was thinking on my way in today, uh, uh, who would be here in the midst of this storm? And to know that you made a choice to gather with your fellow followers of Christ to come and to worship together, to uh, pray as God's people to engage God's word. Uh, it's so encouraging to me personally, uh, just as a fellow follower of Christ. And those who are participating uh, through our live stream, uh, good morning to you and welcome. And we're so glad that you're choosing to engage in worship as well. And we would love to hear from you this week, whether you send an email in or a, a text or whatever, just um, let us know that you've been uh, uh, participating in our conversations and in our worship alongside of us. We've been in a season where we're taking a look at a book uh, called The Good and Beautiful God. It's a book that um, uh, explores these attributes of God, of getting to know God, to know the God Jesus knows. And, and people have been gathering in life groups, and they've been looking at the study at the back of the book, and been using also the studies that we provide every Sunday in the handouts. Uh, if you would like to have a copy of that book or to be in one of our life groups and to just connect with other people around the topic of God's identity and God's characteristics and all those things, that, that please let us know. We, we'll get you hooked up. Uh, this morning, um, uh, we're going to be taking a look at God is holy. And what I'd like to do with this, uh, this conversation is to begin with a story, to begin with a story. And again, if you're new to Christianity, you may have heard of the name Moses before, but he's a, a leader of God's people that lives some 1,200 to 1,400 years before the time of Jesus. And he was kind of a reluctant leader. He really didn't want the role that God had cast him into, uh, but God would not relent. And so Moses went and was used of God to help lead uh, the people of God out from under uh, enslavement. And so they, they were enslaved in Egypt at the time, and, and Moses helped, to, uh, being used of God, led them out. And they had a number of these experiences along the way, God revealing himself through these mighty works, and God splitting the Red Sea, and God providing food, and, and just some, an amazing assortment of uh, experiences. They get to a place called Mount Sinai, this, this mountain where God had previously met with Moses when he first called him into this role. And they're encamped at the base of Mount Sinai, and, and Moses is atop the mountain. He's having this extended multi-multi-day conversation with God in which God is providing the law to Moses. And at the base of the mountain, the people uh, become impatient, and they make a calf, a golden calf. You see, with an idol, you have a little bit more control over uh, your access to God. That's what the experience was of the surrounding cultures. And in, in making this calf, they, they were offending God. They're saying, God, we want to be in control. We don't want to wait on you. And, and there was this whole encounter between Moses and the people and God. And, and um, there was this confrontation of their sin. And after all that was done, Moses goes into this tent, this tent of meeting. Whenever Moses would go in there and, and God was present with him, there would be this pillar of cloud. Can you imagine? 
seeing the, the, the leader of your congregation, the, the, the leader of your community, your people, going into a tent in, in a very pillar of smoke, this cloud would, would hang above the tent, and, and God, you just knew, was present in, in speaking with Moses. And Moses was sharing with them, listen, I, I don't want to go forward from this place if you're not going to come with us. I, I know these people. And this is the place that you and I have had these conversations. I don't want to go forward from this place if you don't come with us. God said, I will. I will go with you. And Moses in his position was a little concerned about this, and he wanted God to provide something that would clarify, that would reassure him. And so he Ask God for God to show him his glory. In fact, if uh, you have your Bibles and you want to look at it, we're in Exodus 33, verse 18. Moses said to God, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make my goodness, all my goodness, not quantity, but quality. I'll make my pure goodness pass before you and will proclaim you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, God said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This conversation concludes in the tent of meeting. After God had given some instructions, listen, I need you to go and make some new tablets, because Moses had broken the other tablets when the people had disobeyed, and, and God was going to re-give the commandments. And so Moses makes the tablets, and he goes up on top of Mount Sinai to meet with God. And we pick up the story in Exodus 34, verses 5 through 8. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. If you were to put yourself in Moses' place, to have the Lord of the universe, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, come and make his very presence known, allowing you to see and experience his pure goodness, not full on, not straightforward, but some kind of a, of a revelation of who he is other, different, distinct. 
the cultures of the time had a word for this. It's a word that appears throughout the Bible. It's the word holy. Holy that is a way of talking about the otherness of God, the distinctness of God. That God is different. And so this morning we're going to be taking a look at God is holy. And we're going to do it by taking a look at Psalm 99. Psalm 99 is a way of seeing God from the back. That it will reveal to us, it will talk to us about the holiness of God. It will give us information. But our desire is not that we would just have greater understanding, but that and this is my, my, my prayer throughout the week, that, that through the understanding that there would be a shift in who we are, that our relationship, our devotion to God would increase, that, that we would feel open to, to, and even convicted to challenge our priorities and to reset them based on God's otherness, His distinctness, who God is. And so if you have your Bibles, we'll put it on the screen as well. But let's go ahead and read Psalm 99, and then we'll get into our conversation. Hear the word of God. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. May God bless the reading of his word and may God bless our time together as well. The Lord our God is holy. The Lord our God is holy. That's what it says in verse 9. At the very end of the psalm, the Lord our God is holy. It's not the only time it's declared in the psalm, two other times. At the end of verse 3 and at the end of verse 5, He is holy. He is holy. The Lord our God is holy. There are two occasions in Scripture where this idea, this, this repetition of God's holiness occurs, not just throughout a psalm or throughout several paragraphs, but the word holy, 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 put right there in order. Holy, holy, holy. One of them occurs in Isaiah chapter 6, another in Revelation chapter 4, and this is a way of describing God as the ultimate of holy, the ultimate of other, of distinct the one in Isaiah in chapter 6, it's the calling of Isaiah, the commission of Isaiah into, his, into the role that God would have him play as prophet. And Isaiah has this vision, and in this vision there are these seraphim, these heavenly beings, and they have six wings. Two they cover their face, two they cover their feet, and with two they fly. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
In the one in Revelation, again, there's this vision that's taking place. In the book of Revelation, John, in, in that first century, in the, as a follower of Christ and after the Christ's death and resurrection, and, and God revealing what we have as the apocalypse of John or the revelation, this, this way of writing that has kind of a, a, a whole different style to it, very different than a psalm, very different than a gospel. In the midst of this uh, revealing that God provides, John is brought into a throne room. And God is upon his throne and there's, there's thunder and lightning taking place. And, and there are these, uh, these heavenly creatures. In fact, they're referred to as living creatures. They're, they're not statues. They're not idols. They're, not, they're living creatures. And these living creatures, one is like a lion. One is like an ox. One is like a man. And one is like an eagle. And they each have six wings. And, and they have eyes on their front and they have eyes on their back and all this symbolism in, in just included in this. But here's what they say. And they say it day and night without ceasing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and will be for all time. Holy. God is different. God is distinct. No other attribute of God is repeated in this way. The Bible does say God is love. We have incredible stories of God's love throughout all of Scripture. God is love. There's no denying that. But the Bible for us underscores, makes it clear that we need to know this. It's impossible to know God without coming to terms with God being completely other, distinct, different. Are we made in his image? Absolutely. Are we in a relationship with him? You bet you, because God has established it, but God is holy. God is so much more other than any other thing. Even in the best of our imaginations, even if we were quite good at developing idols, which we tend to be, even with all of our science, which, by the way, looks at what God has already revealed, even we take all of our rational thinking, none of us, or all of us together, could come up with exactly what God is. God is holy. So the psalm then helps us by showing how we experience God's holiness. Not all the ways, but some of the ways. So let's take a look at some of those ways. Here's one. God's otherness is revealed in his sovereignty and his authority. If you still have your Bibles open, we could look at verses 1 and 2. The Lord reigns. It's a word of sovereignty and authority. The Lord reigns. And it tells us the Lord reigns. He rules. He says, let the peoples tremble. And the word peoples here is talking of all nations. Let all the peoples tremble in response to the sovereignty, the authority of God. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. Now here there's a reference to the cherubim. And, and if you remember some of the passages, if you've read the Bible before, you might remember some of the passages that talk about the holy of holies in the temple. And that there would be these carved cherubim and, and it would be above these cherubim that would be the throne of God. And so even as the psalmist describes that God is over all peoples, you need to remember his throne 
His throne is in the temple. It's among the Hebrew people, the the covenant people. In verse 2, we read that the Lord is great in Zion. That's a repetition of what we just heard. He is exalted over all the peoples. God reigns. He reigns distinctly. He's he's an other kind of uh, of ruler. He's, He's beyond any other rule. This is your bosses, 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 bosses. And keep going for a while. Boss. When I first started as an engineer, one of my bosses was Pat DeCellis. And Pat DeCellis loved to rule his little fiefdom. And I was a subject in his little fiefdom. Pat DeCellis chain-smoked Paul Mall cigarettes, unfiltered. And he guzzled coffee. He would make a pot and just swish it back and forth in his mug all day long. And he wore these cowboy boots, and he would stomp up and down the hallway, and you could hear him throughout the whole of the building. He loved to be in charge of his little fiefdom. And maybe that's where we find ourselves. We like to be in charge of our little fiefdom. In fact, Pat would often go against what others would say, and he goes, well, I'm the boss here right now. And maybe we do that. We go against what others say, and and we kind of say, I'm the boss right here right now. And the psalmist is telling us, listen, there is one who rules and whose authority is utterly different. Holy is he. God's otherness is revealed in his sovereignty and authority. The second thing we find is that God's otherness is revealed in his ethics. God's sovereignty is revealed in his ethics. If you look at verse 4, it reads, The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. The king being God. The king in his might has, loves justice. You have established equity or fairness. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. You get that? God is all about justice and equity and righteousness. You know, in the ancient cultures, the Hebrews were not alone in using this word holy. In fact, other cultures would use that word as a way of describing whatever their false god was. Of course, for them, it wasn't a false god, but they would describe that god as being holy, as being different and other and distinct. And they would take that word holy then and apply it to uh, people who were living out the character traits of that god. And so even in Baal worship, in Baal worship, you would have temple prostitutes, and they would be known as the holy prostitutes because they were other, distinct. They were aligned with the character of their god. And so when God gives the commandments to to Moses, he's revealing his character to Moses. He's saying, these these represent my my ethics, my character of who I am. I'm other. I'm distinct. I'm different than everyone else. I'm all about justice and righteousness and equity. Have you ever come across a law you don't like? Okay, so I'm sure my list is long, but one of them. Uh, have you ever been at a stoplight 
late at night and you just want to get home and you can totally tell there's no other car coming, right? And now add, you might have to use the restroom. Just saying, you might have to use the restroom. And you're sitting there and you're going, listen, I, I know the law. The law says it's red and I cannot go. I have to wait until it's green. But I don't like that law. I want the law to read something like, you know, you, yeah, usually stop, but if you really, like if you don't see anybody else coming, really, just go ahead and go. And maybe when we come to the laws that God says, in fact, Jesus even said that they're summed up in this, that, that we're to love the Lord our God with all of who we are and that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we can look elsewhere in the Bible, including in the New Testament. It would lay out, gosh, you better, you know, here's, here's what God wants your relationships to look like. Here's what God wants your relationship with money to look like. Here's what God uh, wants your relationship with power to look like. Here's what God wants your relationship with words to look like. And we can go, I get that, I get that, I get that, but I don't like some of them. And I'd rather them just have these sub-clauses that I could change given the change in my context. And where I can tweak God's laws and, and I can make them fit more of what I want. But the psalmist is telling us, listen, in God's laws, in who God is, his, his differentness, we know that he's other, that he is all about justice and righteousness, the things that are right. He's about fairness. And that when he gives forward these laws, his very character is coming forward in them. And we represent his holiness in this world when we align himself with what he's revealed. God's otherness is revealed in his ethics. The third thing we see is God's otherness revealed in his treatment of sin. This comes to us in verse 8. Listen to what it says. He's already mentioned uh, Moses and Aaron and Samuel. He calls them priests and leader, and, and he's mentioned them, and he says here in verse 8, uh, O Lord our God, you answered them. You've answered these leaders. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. God reveals his otherness in his treatment of sin. I love the combination, just how clear it is that God is a forgiving God. Which, from the Hebrew story, from the story of God's people, both before Jesus and then when Jesus came into this world, that God is a covenant-making God. He is in relationship with the people that he's called to be his own. And he is committed to keeping this covenant. And, and so in this covenant, God forgives. And yet God is so other and distinct that even as he keeps the covenant beyond what might seem reasonable, he's keeping this covenant that he also says, listen, I cannot keep sin. I, I, I cannot allow for sin. Sin, sin is against you. It, it works against you. It's bad for you. It dishonors me. And so there need to be consequences. We know now that in the, through Jesus Christ, God has dealt with sin from an ultimate standpoint. And that our forgiveness is, is eternal. It's an eternal forgiveness. But even in the New Testament, we find in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 that God is very much like a parent. And you can picture this. A parent who loves the child, who's in a covenant relationship with their own child, who loves them. I am your father, I am your mother, and I love you, my child. But there are behaviors that, 
that are not helpful for you. That they work against you. They are not for your good. And I want to help you. I want to I help you understand that these are not for your good. They, they do not honor who I want you to be, who I hope you are, who God would hope you are. And so as a parent in this er- earthly world of ours, we would, we would have consequences. We would have things that would help to help the child address the behaviors. And that's what Hebrews 12 says. That God, this God who's committed to the relationship, is so committed to the relationship. And by the way, James Bryan Smith in his book, um, The Good and Beautiful God, in the chapter on God is Holy, does a great job with God's wrath. Explains God's wrath and and how it's this appropriate and yet just this um, temporary response because it's only around as long as sin is around. And God chastises. And God says sin should not be there. God's otherness is revealed in his treatment of sin. Now, here's what we can say then. God, because God reveals, we get to know. Because God reveals who he is, even though he's so other, he reveals himself in his sovereignty and his ethics and in his treatment of sin. Because God reveals, we get to respond. We get to respond. In fact, in the New Testament, it even says that, uh, uh, um, Old Testament as well, but be holy for uh, the Lord your God is holy. Be holy for the Lord your God is holy. We get to respond to God's holiness with our own distinctness, that we would be holy as God is holy. And there's two ways that are mentioned in this psalm that we can glean, and, and, and we know that there are other ways we could add to the list, but let's, we'll just mention the two that we find here. The first is this. Responding to God's otherness calls for worship. Calls for worship. It's, it's interesting in this text, you know, uh, um, I, I don't know what kind of a texture you are, whether you use a lot of emojis or whatever. And Okay, so I'm one of the people that uses correct punctuation in my text. Uh, um, it, 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 I know no one else probably does. But um, the importance, though, we've learned about using exclamation points. I was reading an article this past week of, you want to be careful ending in a period, it says more than you want it to say. You better use an emoji or an exclamation point. If you read this passage in the NIV, there's a lot of periods. In the ESV, it's like, you know, it's a little time went by when, before the translators of the ES, ESV came along, and they said, let's put some exclamation points in this uh, and to help us to know. And here, for us to know, responding to God's otherness calls for worship, praise, exalt, Worship. Those are the three words, the three words translated for us in the ESV. Praise, exalt, and worship. Praise is to acknowledge God's character and his works. Praise is to acknowledge God's character and his works. To exalt is to lift up, to to lift God up, to see God in his greatness. And to worship is to bow down, to bow down, to humble ourselves before God in his greatness. And you can think now of a sporting event. That's the place we go where where we acknowledge the works and the character of our team, where we put our hands in the air, where we bow. We're not worthy. We bow in the face. But we don't just do it at the game. We do it all week long. We wear the t-shirt. We we wear the the uniform. We we have the colors on. We talk about the team. We, We represent the team in our conversations. And so it is in this situation as our response to the holiness of God that that we would represent that all week long. That we would praise. 
that we would, we would acknowledge his character and good works in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us. That we would, we would lift him up in our lives and before the people around us. That we would bow down in our lives before God. And that other people would see as we bow down before God that they would also know that there's this God who is other and worthy of all of our worship. The other thing would be this. Responding to God's otherness calls for service. We already mentioned Moses, Aaron, and Samuel. The psalmist puts Moses and Aaron up as priests and, and we know that in the, because of the work of Jesus Christ and, and what God has done through Christ, that there's a difference now among God's people. It used to be that God would call some forward and, and put his spirit upon them for the particular role that he had them. But in the New Testament, because of the work of Jesus Christ and that unto us is imputed his righteousness, that everything's right about Jesus was given unto us, that we are now a priesthood together. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it talks about us as being a holy priesthood a royal priesthood, that you're a priest, that you stand before God on behalf of people. And you stand before people on behalf of God. And this is our calling. This is our role. Responding to God's otherness calls for service. And we stand before God on behalf of people and before people on behalf of God. And here's what Moses and Aaron and Samuel did. They called on the name of the Lord. They called on God. They talked to God, and they kept his testimonies and the statute. They, they kept what God had revealed. And so for us, that our calling is the same. We're special because God has made us special and given us his Holy Spirit. We're special only because God has accomplished it through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And we're to represent this in this world. There's something that has occurred during my lifetime in the experience of the American contemporary church. In our efforts, I fear that in our efforts to want to meet people where they are, we have made access to God so casual that we've brought this idea that, well, God and I have an understanding. That to be in relationship with God is a casual thing. And it's not. God is other. Does God want to meet us where we are? Absolutely. Does God come into this world in the person of Jesus Christ in order to engage us as we are and to connect with us in order to transform us? But yes, but God is other and holy and distinct. We began with a story about Moses and that Moses got to see God's otherness in a profound way, in a way that that just doesn't happen uh, every day for every person. Moses got to see something of God's pure goodness, his glory, his otherness. What Moses didn't get to see, and what we get to see through Scripture and through what God reveals in our hearts, is that God came into this world in the person of Jesus and died for us on the cross, was raised from the dead, and now reigns from heaven on high. We have seen God Reveal his love in the person of Jesus Christ. One day we will get to do what Moses back in the day could not do. We'll get to see Jesus as he is now. In 1 John 3, 2, that, that 
it admits that we can't see fully right now, but one day, one day when Jesus returns and all things are made new, we will see Jesus as he is. But between now and then, we get to know God is holy, for God has revealed himself. We get to worship our holy God in all that we do. We get to acknowledge his, his works and his character, his distinct otherness. And we get to serve this holy God of ours as his priests in this world, standing before people on behalf of God and standing before God on behalf of people. May the God who is, the God who is other, distinct, glorious, be at work in our lives this week. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that you are the God. You know how each one of us has tended to try to limit you in our lives, to put boundaries on you, to make you tame and, and common and, and adaptable to our agendas. Would you forgive us? Would you please forgive us? God, our choices have such consequences to them. Even this week, help us to have a sense a growing sense of your distinctness, of your otherness, of your moral purity, your ethics, your character, your sovereignty, such that, God, our very lives would reveal your otherness in some capacity to the people around us, and that more and more people would come to glorify you. We give you praise. Thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. In his name we pray.